We are in Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at, start at verse 18 and we're going to read down to verse 28. So Mark chapter 2. Let me read those verses as we usually do, kind of read the verses and get a kind of a flyover, uh, comprehensive view of the passage. And then we come back and look at it verse by verse. So, uh, by the way, if you need a Bible, there's some in the pews there. If you need to take, if the ones is worn out in the in the pew there, but you need a Bible to take home, uh, just let us know about it. You can see uh, Tim in the bookstore or one of us, uh, and we'll be glad to have, provide a Bible for you. So, Mark chapter two, verse eighteen. Jesus is out in public ministering. He's been in the area of uh, the Sea of Galilee in a city called Capernaum. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, to Jesus, Why do the disciples of John and, the, and, the, and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts and the wineskins burst the wineskins, excuse me, and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and as they went uh, his disciples began to, to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. A lot of great stuff here today. Can't wait to share it with you. Let's pray. Jesus, you're Lord of all. As we sang that last song, you are Lord of all. You're, you're Lord over every church. Or you should be. <laughs> every church should recognize you as Lord. You're Lord over all creation. We want you to, to be Lord over our lives, both in the, in the reality of it and in the practice of life. We want to look to you in everything. We want to take our cues from you and our directions from you, you alone. So Lord, teach us your ways again today. Here we are. We need to hear from you. We ask to hear from you, Lord. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I've entitled this message, The Misguided Rules of Man. Now, in saying that, I, I don't want to say that rules aren't helpful and, and sometimes aren't necessary in life. If you have children, you know <laughs> they're necessary. If you have grandchildren, sometimes rules are necessary for their well-being. And so rules, you know, in society, it's, it's good to have rules, speed limits. It's good to have civil laws and all those kinds of things. We need, we need rules uh, to a certain point. We need laws to a certain point uh, to help prevent anarchy and chaos and to provide safety for people. And so uh, there's that side of the coin. But the, but the other side of the coin that we're looking at today is the misguided rules of man. And the misguided rules of man in particular as it, as it um, is connected to the ways of God and the Christian faith. And sometimes people in uh, churches and sometimes Christians or people who just go to church of, of any persuasion in their there's lots of reasons why we make rules, but sometimes in our efforts to, to help people along, we actually hold them back. We make life more difficult for them. Sometimes making rules about the things of God and religion and spirituality and church attendance and all those things just make life easier because then you don't have to think about situations case by case. You just throw a rule at a particular situation and either it falls on one side or it falls on the other. If we always want to be people who live by law regarding everything, then it's always black and white and there's no area for gray. But sometimes life is gray, isn't it? There's a, there's a TV show that my wife and I like to, to watch. It's called Flashpoint. I get all my biblical sermon points from TV. And, uh, and, the, and the, it's about a SWAT team in Toronto and it's based, on, it's based on a real SWAT team that existed in Toronto. And they have to make life and death situations in split seconds to save people's lives or whatever they have to do. 
And sometimes it shows them making a wrong call and then they get in trouble for it and the very people that should be supporting them are now persecuting them and putting them on suspension and all these kinds of things. And one of the quotes that one of the team leaders said really stuck in my mind. He says, you know, we're called to make black and white decisions in a gray world. And that just really stuck with me. It's always good to drive safe, but how, but how fast is safe and how fast is unsafe, etc. And so laws, rules are needed in society. They're needed in our families. They're needed in our marriages. They're needed in our spiritual life. And yet sometimes we multiply misguided rules and laws that make life more difficult. And that's, that's the trajectory that I want us to consider today. This isn't a sermon against rules. This is a message that, that is intended, and my goal is for this, and I think really the biblical passage, the goal of the passage is that we would examine our lives and ask ourselves, are we putting under other people under some laws that we've made up and have made as, as equally valid as the word of God? Or conversely, or not conversely, but in another way, are we putting our restrictions on ourselves that make our lives harder that God hasn't asked us to put on ourselves? Are we victimizing others with the laws we make up or are we victimizing ourselves in ways that are not helpful, even with good intentions? And so that's the trajectory that we're going to go on. Look at verse 18. We're going to just go through this verse by verse. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting and they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? Fasting is a denial of the physical life. It's going without food, sometimes going without drink even, uh, for a certain amount of time. Um, I grew up in a church where, you know, the 40 days before Easter was called Lent and we were called to give something up. And so as a kid, I would give up something like, I'm being facetious now, I'd give up Barbie dolls. Okay, I didn't play with Barbie dolls. So if I did give up Barbie dolls, it wouldn't be any big deal. I think as a kid, sometimes I gave up candy or something like that and you know, it was some kind of self-denial. It was supposed to be for spiritual reasons, to prepare my heart for the celebration of Easter, that kind of thing. But fasting is still very useful and a great blessing for Christians today. It's a denial of the body in order to enhance the life of the spirit. When you, when you start to get hungry, you just don't go run to the fridge. You stop and say, well, you know, I'm going to pray. And every time that I've spent time fasting, it's always been a time resulting in much more prayer. And sometimes it's hard. You get a headache or whatever and you know, we don't have to be legalistic about those things, but it should be done joyfully. It should be done as unto the Lord. It should be done willingly and with spiritual goals in mind, not, not for weight loss or anything else like that. Certainly not to get pats on the back from anybody else. Certainly not to think that God owes us something if we deny ourselves. So fasting is still good. In the Old Testament, God commanded the nation of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement. Pharisees fasted twice a week. So the, the, the national Jews were only required to fast one day a year, and that's the day that we now call Yom, Yom Kippur, when they would call their sins to mind and that kind of thing. Pharisees said, well, if one day a year is good, twice a week's even better. And so they would add to it, and, and, and they would, if they wanted to adopt that to their own lives, that's fine, but if they wanted to put that obligation on other people, that wasn't okay, because it wasn't mandated in God's word. But that's what they did. They saw themselves as superior to other people. They saw themselves as wanting, well, they wanted to gain the attention of people. They would kind of paint their faces to look kind of drawn in. They would wear old clothes. They would walk around kind of looking weak and that kind of thing. Why, why do you look that? Well, I'm fasting for the Lord. You know, they would gain attention from people. They would also think that God would kind of owe them something. And so they had, they had the idea of fasting all mixed up. But it's still good for us to do. I would encourage you to do it, especially if you are, if you're spiritually dry Give up food for a day or two, three. Start praying. You won't be dry at the end of three days. The Lord will have been stirring up your heart. Some, some people sometimes, you know, they don't fast from food, but they'll just take a social media fast or television fast or they just won't do anything. The only thing I'm going to do outside of living and eating and working is I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm going to turn off everything that has a switch, including maybe the phone for a few days or screen my calls at least or something like that. There's lots of ways to do it, but it's a denial of physical pleasure in order to promote spiritual well-being. So fasting is still good. I would encourage you guys to do it. In verse 18 here, we see the questioning of Jesus. The scribes and the, the, the Pharisees came and they asked him a question. The disciples of John fast and we fast. 
why don't, why, don't your, why don't you guys fast? And so we don't know if they did this with an accusing tone or if they sincerely wanted to know. John the Baptist called people to repentance. So his ministry was calling people to grieve over their sins, to be sorry about the wrongdoing that they had done, and to repent and turn to God. Um, the Pharisees, as I said, made many fasting days, made a mandatory for everybody else, even though God had not. They were quick, typically quick to condemn anybody that didn't obey their standards. So that's another thing that sometimes we do. We'll talk more about that later. Verse 19, Jesus here is not afraid to answer. And I just want to encourage you guys, just as a side note, but notice Jesus, Jesus' life gets challenged and he, doesn't say, and he doesn't say, you're hurting my feelings. He doesn't say, I feel like a victim. He doesn't retreat. He just stands there and answers them. And I would encourage you guys, if you're a follower of Christ, to have an answer. The Bible says, be ready to give an answer to those who ask it with meekness and humility. But be ready to give an answer just to explain yourself. And Jesus didn't retreat whenever he was challenged in this way. And so I think if we want to follow in his footsteps, it's a good practice to adopt. So Jesus' answer, he said to them in verse 19, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. So Jesus is happy to give them an answer. Once again, I pray that we would be people that are happy to give an answer to, to those who ask us questions about our faith. A little history on Jewish weddings. They were times of great joy. Sometimes they went a week long. That's a party, isn't it? You, you celebrate all day long, you go sleep, you get up in the morning and start again. Five, six, seven days. And that was the custom of that day. They were times of great celebration. Some rabbis taught that the joy during a wedding feast, that joy was more important than the observance of the law. So what if the wedding feast uh, ran through a Sabbath day of rest? You just keep being joyful. You keep the celebration going. So in the, in the mind of the rabbis, it was, a, it, was a, it was a celebration of great joy and it even trumped the law at times. So that, that was the culture that they were living in. That's how they viewed wedding feasts. And Jesus used that truth to give them, he gave, used it as an allegory to give them a spiritual truth. He simply said this, that while he was physically present, he would be like the bridegroom and the friends of the bridegroom do not mourn or grieve when the bridegroom is there. And he goes on to say, the time is coming when the bridegroom will leave, then you can fast. But he's just suffice it to say this, he's say, Jesus isn't saying that fasting is bad. He's just saying this isn't the time for it. This isn't, this isn't the season for it. This is the time to be joyful because the bridegroom, and the Bible does call the church the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom, and so that really speaks of relationship, doesn't it? To be a Christian means to have relationship with Jesus Christ. We are the bride, he is the bridegroom. And so that's the, like the most intimate of human relationships. So Jesus is simply saying, it's not time to mourn or to grieve because typically fasting is a time of grief and introspection and all that. He's saying, while I'm here, it's a time for celebration and the time will come when I leave and then they can fast. In verse 21, Jesus explains the error of their thinking. He tells them why and how they were thinking wrong. He says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. Now that's easy to understand, isn't it? I'll tell you a funny story about clothes that shrink. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up loving the Beatles and the Beach Boys in the 60s, okay? You know, I'm picking up good vibrations, right? So... And so the Beatles, when they first came out, they had those really nicely tailored suits. And the Beach Boys, they had those, they all dressed the same with nice shirts tucked in and wingtip shoes and everything. So I'm thinking, well, that's, that's what cool kids do, right? So mom bought me a pair of nice yellow pants, creases and cuffs, wingtip shoes, pinstripe shirt, and I went to school in seventh grade. And I felt so stupid. <laughs> because every other kid had on Vans, tennis shoes, 501 jeans and a t-shirt and I immediately went home and said mom we got to go to JCPenney's 
So I found some, you know, Levi's that fit and we took them home and wore them first week and got the deck shoes, got the t-shirt and finally I was feeling cool again. You can't go without that feeling too long, you know. And then the end of the week came and so my mom threw them in the washing machine and back then you had to buy them one inch big in the waist and two inches big in the length because they shrunk. But I didn't know that because this is my first pair of Levi's. This, this is connected to the study. It's also in encourages your deep breathing while you laugh. It keeps your brain going. So, so anyway, you know, you know where this is going, right? Wash the pants Monday morning, put them on, and I have high waters. I got flood, I got flood pants. They're up to here, right? And they're tied around my waist. I didn't care. I'm wearing them. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, you know, the crease pants are gone. The wingtips are gone. So I wear flood water Levi's all year <laughs> because you just have to be cool. So we understand about clothes that shrink. You don't take an old cloth that's shrunk, it has a hole in it, and you put on a new unshrunk piece because you sew it on, and once you go through the water again, it's just going to make it worse. And Jesus is simply saying, listen, there's something happening here that doesn't fit the way that you think. You Pharisees and you, and you followers of John the Baptist think that godliness is always connected to introspection and sadness and grieving and repentance and sorrow. That's the only way that you think godliness happens is if you're looking at the, at the bad side of things and you're looking at all your own wrongdoing and there's deep self-examination uh, and all of this. But he's saying, because you're stuck in that kind of thinking, you're missing what's happening here. This is a moment of joyfulness. This is a moment of joy. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to apply your erroneous way of thinking to this present manifestation of the Son of God in your midst. And it's not going to work. He could have said it maybe this way. You're stuck in a rut. You're practicing something that has a time and a place, but now is not the time or the place. But you have adopted a rut instead of a relationship with God. Does that make sense? You're in a, you're in a spiritual religious rut it was birthed and contrived and, and modeled after some good things. It is good for the people of God to fast on occasion. And sometimes when we fast, you know, as I said before, you get closer to the Lord. And so, and maybe you're calling to mind your own sinfulness and he gets your attention about compromises in your life and the way that you've been cutting corners, things you're allowing into your life and you feel kind of bad and convicted but it feels kind of good because it's cathartic and you're saying, oh Lord, I, I didn't even know I was doing those things or I, maybe I kind of had a sense but you pointed them out and it's all happening because I'm denying myself and it's been kind of hard but it's kind of good. And so you can get in the mindset that says the only way to really get close to God is to suffer. And that is one way to get close to God. But they were stuck in this wrong, wrong thinking. And he's simply saying, your thinking is erroneous. This is not a time for grief. This is a time for joy. Your narrow-mindedness and the, and the rules that you've placed on yourself prohibit you from enjoying the, this moment that God has given you. And that, I think that's, that's my paraphrase of, of what he's saying. And he just simply uses a physical uh, illustration as, as an allegory to, to, to show it. There's no way that it's ever going to be good to try to sew an unshrunk piece of cloth onto a, a piece of cloth that's shrunk in order to make it better. It's never, going to be, it's never going to work. Secondly, in verse 22, no one puts new wine, skin in, new wine into old wineskins. Now, now, leather is flexible to a point, and so they would fill the new wineskins, the fresh leather, and the fermentation would cause the bag to expand, the wineskin to expand, and that's fine because it has some flexibility for a time, but if you keep putting new wine in the old wineskin, at some point, it loses all its flexibility and it's just going to burst. It's just not going to hold the wine. You guys understand that. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so he's simply saying, you need to think differently. You need to get away from just your kind of sad way of approaching God all the time. You need to get away from your automatic rules and regulations that you just have added to yourself and you've kind of thrown out upon everybody else. You need to get away from that. There's a time and a place for it, but not all the time and not, not in every place. What are the applications for us? First, a drink of water. 
whenever we're studying the Bible, at some point, you know, that, that's been the observation and the explanation. When you study the Bible, there's always observation. What does it say? There's explanation. What does it mean? And then there's application. There's always those three things. Observation, explanation, application. Now we're to the application point. And this is the point where you say, okay, so what? So shall we practice that together? So what? Interesting, nice history, Pastor Bill. Yeah, funny story about your stupid genes. Yada, yada, yada. So what? Why are you telling us all this? Because there's an application for us. There has to be an application. And it has to come from here, not from me. It has to come from God's Word. This is an application. This is a hypothetical thing I just made up, but I think maybe it'll resonate. How do we view rules regarding God? I'm just going to read through my notes here. As with any human relationship, we shouldn't create rules that don't pursue what's good for the relationship because things change. Life changes. Different seasons come and go. This is, I just made this up, but I think it works. For example, newlyweds decide that in order to celebrate and deepen their marriage, every Tuesday and Friday is date night, and they say no to every other invitation. That's a good idea. Newlyweds just saying, we're really going to invest this first year in one another. Yes, we have friends. We'll go out on occasion. But, but Tuesday and Friday are special nights for us. We're just going to say no. We're not going to get involved with the softball league or anything else. Tuesday and Friday, we're just celebrating our marriage and we're getting close and we're, we're getting deep with one another. Good idea. So they make it a rule. Then they start having children. And Tuesday and Friday has become like any other night. They have to become like every other night because those kids just don't go away. <laughs> They're there. They cry on Monday. They cry on Tuesday. They cry every night. They're hungry every day, you know. So Tuesday and Fridays can't stay the same. The couple still, they deeply love each other, but what was a wise rule earlier on now has to change. If they insist on keeping the rule, their marriage and the family may suffer. So they have a three-year-old, they have a one-year-old, and they're crying, and it's dinner time, and Dad says, sorry, kids, me and Mom are going out. It's Tuesday. There's the cereal, there's the milk, there's the bowls, there's the spoons. You're on your own. You'll be okay. You can't keep the rule anymore. It was good for another time, but it's not good now. Now, what's the unchanging aspect of, of, of this scenario? The unchanging aspect is fidelity in marriage and commitment to family is always good. It's always called for to be faithful to your spouse and to be committed to your family. That's always good. So the rule helped with that for a while, but then life changed. The unchanging part is the fidelity in marriage and commitment to family. But the application, the, the changing aspect, how the marriage is protected and how the family is nurtured, now that has to change. Imagine if they would have got a plaque or something and spent a lot of money on a plaque and had it embossed in gold and everything. Golden Tuesdays and Silver Fridays. We're going to live by this till the day we die. Pretty soon that's just like a, an anchor around your ankles, you know, dragging you to the bottom of the ocean. It's not going to work. It works for a while, but it's not going to keep working all the time. So what are they to exalt? Are they to exalt their marriage and their family? Or are they to exalt the rule that was good for one thing, but now isn't anymore? You guys, you guys are with me, right? Because you're schmott. You're educated here, right? You guys understand. Fasting was great. Pharisees said, well, if one day is better, twice, I mean, if one day is good, one day a year is good, twice a week is better. 104 times a year. If one day is good, 104 is better. And we think everybody else should do it too. And if you don't, well, then we know how you are. And so they took that good thing and turned it into a bad thing. And Jesus said, you're, you're erroneous in your thinking. You started with good intentions. If you want to fast twice a week, fantastic. Don't be putting everybody else down that, that doesn't feel like they should. Thank you. I like that. We've got a lively congregation today. Let's keep going. So Jesus taught about fasting. Fasting is good, but there was erroneous thinking about it. What, what originated as a good thing became a burdensome rule not handed down to God's people by God. Secondly, verse 23, now we, we learn about the Sabbath. Verse 23, now it happened that he went through grain fields on the Sabbath. It was their day of rest. No work was to be done. It was the seventh day of their week. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, 
Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So, look at your notes. Bottom of page one here. The Old Testament permitted the eating of another man's produce as you pass through his field or orchard, but there were some restrictions. And you can read about that if you want in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Basically, if you're walking through the countryside and you're hungry and there's a wheat field there or there's you know vineyard or there's olives or whatever and you're walking through, as you walk through, you can grab something like that. You can rub the husk off like that. Uh, if it's wheat, you rub the husk off, you get the kernel, you're eating it, you can walk through. That's fine. That was, that was totally allowed. It was also a, a, a way where, where God provided a, a, a theocratic, civic uh, relief for homeless people. Nobody would go hungry in Israel. If you would allow people just to walk through your field and, and get a little bit and get a handful and get a meal and keep on going, that was fine. They couldn't bring a sickle. That was prohibited. They couldn't bring a basket. That was prohibited. So you didn't go into your neighbor's field to cut the grain down and put it in a basket and take it home. You couldn't do that. But as you walk through, you could, you could eat. And that was provided by God. Kind of a welfare system, if you will. Now the Pharisees were very serious about the Sabbath day, day of rest. So they, they figured all kinds of ways to make sure, by the way, we, we understand sometimes people have to work seven days a week. We understand that, you know. I, we know a lot of people in the, in, the, in the wine business. We just got done with the harvest. When the grapes are ready, the grapes are ready. You just got to go. Sometimes you work seven days a week, 14 days, 16, 18 days in a row. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. What I do want to encourage you is if you work seven days a week all the time, you're going to ruin your health and, and you're, you're not going to uh, deepen your, your spiritual life with Jesus. You need to take a rest. So the Sabbath principle is very, very useful and very, very good. It's not to turn into a law, but it's a principle that we should all live by. My Sabbath is Tuesday, just to let you know. Tuesday's off. I try not to answer the phone. Don't book appointments for church. Just stay home and take care of business. Where was I? The, um, they were allowed to eat the grain. They were allowed to eat the grapes. They were allowed to eat the olives. They were allowed to do all those things. And the Pharisees wanted to ensure that people were not working on the Sabbath day. So God says, don't do any work, rest. And they said, well, what does that mean? What, is re- what do you mean by rest? What do you mean that we can't do any work? And so somebody said, well, you can't tie a knot in a rope because if you tie a knot in a rope, it probably means you're hooking up an oxen. If you're hooking up an oxen, it probably means you're going to plow the field. So we're not even going to let it get that far. We're just going to say, we're going to add a law to God's word and we're going to say you can't tie a rope. You can't tie a knot in a rope. However, a woman could tie her girdle you've got to tie the girdle, you've got to tie the girdle. What if you need water in the well? Well, you can't tie a, a rope to the bucket, but since you can tie a knot in a girdle, you could tie the girdle to the bucket <laughs> and lower it down and get the water. You might have to tie multiple girdles together. If she was a girdle collector, you're in luck. You just, so you're not violating the law. Now, did God want you... Is that what God meant when he said, don't work? Go thirsty? or create some law and then find a loophole? No. You can't carry a burden. So they said, you can't carry a burden like this. 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 But if you do have to carry something, you can carry it like this with your hand down. Or you can carry it like this with your elbow. Because that's not really working. And for a man who had dentures, he couldn't wear his dentures on the Sabbath because that was carrying a burden. If you go to Jerusalem today, one of the laws that also goes back to the first century, you couldn't start a fire. You couldn't do the spark thing. So if you had a fire going the day before the Sabbath, you wanted to be sure to keep it going. In Jerusalem today, when we've stayed at the King David Hotel, if you take the elevator on the Sabbath day, it stops at every floor automatically. Because if you push the button, that creates an electrical current and a spark and you're breaking the Sabbath. Serious. So, God says to rest and it's really, really good to rest. And then sometimes man wants to help God out and try to figure out what, 
well, we don't want any loopholes and we don't want people getting away with anything and it's for their own good, so we're going to create rules and laws for them so as to ensure that they're resting so you can't tie a, a knot on a rope. And then they say, well, then how can we get water? Well, let's use the girdle, so on and so forth. These were the kind of laws that the Pharisees were multiplying to God's word. Guys, when we multiply to God's word in that way and, and project it out on everybody, it oftentimes makes life with God much harder. It makes life with God much, much more difficult. We do it to others, and then sometimes we even do it to ourselves. Sometimes with, with the best intentions. Look at the bottom of page one as we go, move on. The Pharisees did not object to Jesus and his disciples eating the grain as was allowed, but they did object that it was done on a Sabbath day, which was a day of rest. Now you have to look up here again, because this is what they said was happening. It's not that you're eating grain on the, day, on the Sabbath day, it's that you're taking it in your hand and you're rubbing it together and you're separating the wheat from the chaff, and that's harvesting. And you can't harvest your crop on the Sabbath day. So you just have to go hungry. So in their effort, once again, in their effort to protect people, they actually hinder life with God. Look at your notes. God created the Sabbath as a benefit for man that man might be forced to do what was best for him, which was to rest his body weekly and to reflect on his life with God. This is the objection the Pharisees had. They interpreted Jesus' actions as a type of harvesting. And they were totally wrong about that. This was a rule the Pharisees invented. They took a good rule of God and added it to the degree that the rule was no longer helpful but hurtful. Because of their religiosity, they lost sight of God's intention for the Sabbath. They turned the Sabbath into a burden which actually made life harder for people. We're going to see this. I'm kind of going into it a lot today and we're not going to have to go into this kind of thinking continuously as we work through the Gospel of Mark because this is going to keep happening. This is, this, is, this is one of the one, big reasons that the Pharisees and religious leaders objected to Jesus, not because he was breaking the laws of God, but because he was breaking their traditions. And guys, this is the point, this is really the point that we have to focus on in our church, in your next church, should God lead you to another church? This is, this is the kind of thing that we have to focus on in our own lives. Am I creating traditions that God hasn't asked me to create? And am I projecting them on other people? Am I making my own life more difficult? Am I making other people's lives more difficult? Even with good intentions. Look at Jesus' answer. Verse 25. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? Where is Jesus getting his answer from? The Bible. <laughs> He's getting it from the Word of God. That's what we, we want to point out all these little things. You have an opinion, I have an opinion, and those are not really that important compared to God's word. So Jesus gets his answer from, from God's word and from the history of God's people. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and those with him? Well, of course they had read it. He's calling them to mind to, uh, to what they had read. Verse 26, How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread... Now, Jesus explains that. We don't even have to look it up. Which is not lawful to eat except for the priests and also gave some to those who were with him. You can read about this story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. The nation of Israel asked God for a king and so God uh, chose Saul, reluctantly chose Saul. And Saul started out good, but then he became a wicked king. And God finally said, Saul, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to David. And David became a musician and a servant and a military leader for King Saul, had great exploits. When he played music, kind of the, the demonic insanity of Saul would calm down. God really used David to help King Saul, but Saul was jealous. And he, wanted, he started trying to kill David. So David finally escaped and some guys went with him and they, didn't, they had to get out of town quickly. They didn't have time to pack for provisions. So they come upon the house of God. I believe it was up in Shiloh. It wasn't in Jerusalem yet. And he comes to the priest and he says, and David lies, unfortunately. But he says, hey, me and my guys, uh, King Saul sent us on a mission. We didn't have time to bring food and it's an emergency. Can, do you have anything here? He goes, well, I don't have any common food here. I have the showbread if the men have kept themselves from women, if they're ceremonially clean, I guess, we can make, I guess we can make an exception to the law of God. 
Even God makes exceptions to his laws for the benefit of mankind, not for the convenience of mankind or the greed or the sinfulness or anything. For the, for the benefit of mankind, God will say, we're going to look over this one right now. You guys with me? And so Abiathar gave him the, gave him the showbread that only the priests are supposed to eat. And, David, excuse me, and Jesus just answers these guys with the word of God that they already knew about. Look at, look at letter D there under letter C. In this case, human need trumped God's religious command. And he's saying in the same way, God gave the Sabbath for your refreshment, not to make life more difficult. And then you guys say, tell me more. Okay, I will. Here's some, might as well be, have a little fun here. Here's some thoughts about man-made rules. This is just my musing on the idea. Why do we make such rules? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of come up with some hypothetical ones and share some things that I've done in the past and, and all that. But you guys, you know what? You guys have to take this home and apply it to your own lives because I'm going to give two or three or four examples, but there are thousands of examples of ways that we project our convictions onto other people and call it gospel. And there's ways that we want to get close to God and we put ourselves under bondage that doesn't help us but actually hurts us. And we have to be careful about these things. I wanted, wanted to add another worship song today. I couldn't find it, but the, the verse is, the lyric is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom to restrict yourself from certain things or there's freedom to enjoy things, but it's always freedom. Freedom to say no. Freedom to realize that's not good for me. Freedom to realize I need to stay away from those people. Freedom to realize, God, this is for me, this isn't for me, but, the, but it's all done with a mindset of freedom, not with a mindset of legalism. Why do we make such rules? Go down the list with me, if you would. Sometimes people believe that they can behave themselves into a right standing with God. So the Pharisees thought, if we do this, God will love us more. No, he won't. He, there's nothing that we could do to make God love us more. So if any of you are, are projecting uh, rules onto yourself, thinking, if I was just a better Christian, boy, how many times have I heard another? How many times have you guys heard another Christian say that? If I was really a Christian, I wouldn't be doing... Now, come on. You guys don't get out much. I've heard all kinds of people. If I was a better... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that. I, I wouldn't think that. If I was a better Christian, I would be reading more. If I was a better Christian... And, and yeah, those are maybe areas of improvement for your life. But we, we turn them into weapons against us. Here's another thing. Just, I mean, I'm just... I'm kind of shooting... You know, you've heard the, the, the phrase, shoot from the hip. I'm just shooting from the lip. I'm just going to shoot from the lip, okay? Let's say Jen Nimi comes in. I'm, I love when she does announcements because she's fun. Not that everybody else isn't. <laughs> Take it easy. Let's say she comes and says, man, we need somebody really quick to help out. In the, they have three teachers calling sick, and you sit and bow your head. Well, I can't go in there. I didn't read my Bible all week. Get up out of the pew and go in there and catch up this afternoon. Those are the kinds of trips we put on us. I can't serve God. I just, I'm still struggling with cigarettes. Or I, I, still, I can't get that, you know, I don't know, Nirvana bumper sticker off my car. I, 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 I can't serve God until I get all these. Well, yeah, maybe you need to do all those things, but why are you putting trips on yourself about things? Now, sometimes, yes, we need to refrain, and God is doing the work in us. But, but all I'm saying is sometimes it can go too far. And then we are scanning the parking lot for other Nirvana bumper stickers. There was a grunge band in the 90s out of Seattle. We do those things. You guys are giggling. When, I know you, when you're giggling, I know you get it. We do those things. All in the name of religiosity. All in the name of, I want to be a better Christian. If you want to be a better Christian, then don't put trips on yourself that God hasn't put on you. That's one way to be a better Christian. That's like, that's like me and Debbie, if our kids were young and we're building, we have a swing set in the backyard and kids, we got the swing set and dad even read the instructions to put the swing set together for you. Go have fun. 
Well, I can't because I, I had a bad thought and I don't want to go on it for three years. Get on the swing set. You're going to have fun. I mean, you know, get on the swing set and don't think bad thoughts. Get on the swing set. It's been provided for you. Enjoy it. And as you do, pray and say, Lord, help me to have a pure mind. I'm just making all this stuff up. If you want to be a better Christian, don't put trips on yourself. Don't put trips on others. If God is telling you, don't go there, don't do this, etc., fine, that's fine. But if you turn it into a rut, you're going to miss another moment because now it's just become a routine. Now it's become Tuesday and Friday nights. And we always do this on Tuesday and Friday nights, but the kids, they need to be fed. Nope, we're going on a date. I promise, you know know what I'm saying? We need to be really careful to not put ourselves in religious ruts that way. The problem with man-made rules, look at the list. Regardless of intentions, man-made rules can never be perfect for every situation. They can never be perfect. Man tends to forget that people are more important than rules, and sometimes rules are enforced without any consideration for the benefit of the person. Rules take away man's need for reasoning through every situation of life. I remember talking to a gal 15 years ago. She was attending our church. Not here. Nobody knows her. I know that for a fact. I'm pretty sure I know that for a fact. And her marriage was falling apart and the husband was being, doing terrible and this and that. And she just started not coming to church and avoiding me. And I think there was infidelity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she didn't want to be around me because she was sure that I was going to say, under no circumstances can you ever get divorced for any reason at all because you're a Christian. And I ran into her and she explained her situation to me and I said, you know, I think God allows for that divorce or at least a separation for your protection. I don't remember exactly all the details. And she said, thank you. I can't believe you said that. Well, God isn't interested in punishing you. He's not interested in that. Your marriage has gone south and he's done a bunch of dumb things and if you need to start with a separation and call him to repentance and God's calling, you know what I'm saying? She was shocked that she didn't have to be a slave. God hasn't called us to bondage, guys. He's called us to freedom. Freedom to sometimes restrict ourselves. Freedom to say no. Freedom to say yes. But with rules, it's always black and white. There's no, there's no world of gray with rules. There's no world of gray. And Jesus here is throwing gray right up all over their face, isn't he? He's saying, you're missing the moment. You've misinterpreted the word of God. And one of the things that I wrote here, rules take away man's need for reasoning. If you have a rule, then you don't have to think. If you, you, know, you know some of the things that we hate doing sometimes? This is, this, something happens and, and we say, I don't know what to do, right? And, and it just consumes you. you have, something has to be done and you don't know what to do. If only there was a rule, I wouldn't have to think. <laughs> sometimes people come and say, Pastor Bill, tell me what to do. I'm like, yeah, go home and pray. No, 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 no. Tell me what to do about the situation. Should I do black or should I do white? I said, you need to go home and pray. And pray rhymes with gray. So go home and pray. Go figure it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not here to be your black and white you know, opinion and, and, and move caller. You go home and pray and see what God wants you to do. And sometimes I think we make rules for ourselves and for our families and all that so we don't have to think anymore. And I think churches that do that really do a disservice to people. I need to be careful with that one. Here's some examples of misguided man-made rules. I'm probably going to make somebody mad, so here we go. (laughs) The Bible doesn't teach abstinence from alcohol, but it warns against drunkenness. The majority of verses in the Bible warn against the negative effects of alcohol. If you read all the verses on alcohol, most of them are, are, are a warning or a majority. There's a large number of warnings against the danger of becoming addicted to alcohol and losing good judgment and all that. Here's a couple. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Okay, we understand that. Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So clearly, don't get drunk. That's, that's the never-changing aspect of alcohol in the Christian. Don't get drunk. So some people will say, well, in order to make sure that nobody gets drunk, we're going to make another rule that just says simply you can't drink. Good intention. We don't want you to get drunk. We don't want you to crash your car. We don't want you to get sick. So we're going to help you along by taking away your ability to choose. 
So that doesn't promote any maturity in anybody. It just keeps them sober. It keeps them sober, but it takes away their freedom. You guys following with me? Yes or no? It takes away their freedom. Jesus isn't into taking away people's freedom. He came to give us freedom. He came to give that person the freedom to say, you know what, I believe you, and for me, I need to stay away from this. This is death to me. I can't get over that. I can't do that. But here's another verse, just to stir it up a little bit. Sometimes the giving of alcohol is done as an act of mercy. Proverbs 31, give strong drink to him who is perishing. That's what the Bible says. Somebody's dying, let them take a few shots. Strong drink. And give wine to those who are bitter of heart. What does that mean, Pastor Bill? I don't know. (laughs) Go work it out. Go work it out. But it says it. So please don't go home and, you know, get the Mad Dog 2020. And this area over here, this area over here has a past. And don't say, Pastor Bill said, I, and don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do what Pastor Bill said on me or on yourself or on anybody else. But it says it, doesn't it? Does it say it or not? It says it. So what does it mean? I don't know. Go work it out. Go look up in commentaries. Go read some books. Go pray. Come to your own conclusion about what it means for you. But there it says it, doesn't it? Give strong drink to him who is perishing, wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. You go work it out. But that tells me right there, you cannot 100% across the board say, it's always wrong, the Bible prohibits, prohibits drinking alcohol. No, it doesn't. Is there a time and a place? Yeah. For some people, there's no time and no place. And that's the freedom to say no. A rule would take away your freedom and Jesus isn't into taking away your freedom. He died to give you freedom so you could say no, gladly. So you could gladly say no. There's a huge difference here. By the way, the same argument could be made for medical marijuana. It can help and it can hurt. Are we putting people into a more difficult life experience by our man-made rules? Do we choose to live by rules because it relieves us from making case-by-case decisions? Do we choose man-made rules because we're afraid of how some might make a wrong decision? We make the choice for them, we take away their ability to choose. Do we know, guys, if we're making rules, do we know when we are being more damaging than helpful? Is there any time that you, let's say you have a standard, we won't call it a rule, but you have a standard that you live by. And overall, it's been good for your life and good for your family. But the time comes where a situation, and everybody's expecting you to do what you always do, but you say, you know what, in this case, I think we're not going to do it this time because the occasion and for the benefit of the person, we're not going to do it this time. Are you mature enough? Are we mature enough to know when to let those standards, to, when to let rules become standards? Are we mature enough? Personal experiences. I hope you giggle. I baptized a lady with her dog. Jesus said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. So when people decide they want to follow Jesus, uh, baptism is, is the first thing that they ought to get done. Now the woman made a profession of faith. The dog made no such profession. But the woman was very lonely in life and really the dog was her only friend. And we were in the hot tub and she says, Pastor Bill, can we baptize the dog with me? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Did I disobey the Lord? The dog made no profession of faith. I'm being a little silly here, but you know. What was best for the moment? The dog's going down. <laughs> there was a man a couple of years ago that asked if he could attend Cornerstone even though he was using medical marijuana. I really appreciate that he came to me. He says, I have a card, I'm legal. And I said, and he explained his situation to me, there was a medical condition. And I said, yeah, you can. My my only request is that you don't go around telling people about it. Because they don't need to know and it will bother some people. Other people won't care, but other people will be bothered and you don't know which is which. So there's no reason to be a distraction to them. You come and as long as you're behaving, you know, and it's all good, do what you have to do. I can't make that judgment for you. But some situations, perhaps some churches, slam the door. 
because it's too hard to decide. We're just going to make a rule and not have to think about it. Jesus came to give us freedom to say no or yes. We don't need to do that for people. Finally, look at your notes. Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So the Bible clearly tells us in Hebrews chapter 24, 10.24, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So, that, so you guys are here, so you all get an a, a plus for the day. We've all gathered together. Why do we gather together? In order to stir one another up to love and good works, exhorting one another. So the Bible says basically Christians should get together, right? Christians should get together. <clears throat> but there, were, there was a time in, in our life, in the season where we allowed our family to miss Sunday church due to other family activities. The pastor let the pastor's wife go with the pastor's kids to do non-church things on a Sunday morning. (gasps) That would be a scandal in some churches. That would be a scandal. It was an exception. It wasn't a rule. It was an exception and not a lifestyle. Did Did I break the commandment of God by allowing my family to do that? I don't think so. If as a Christian, I never gather together with Christians, then I'm breaking the word of God. I'm breaking the command of God. I really am thankful to the Lord. Um, thank you for listening today. I appreciate it. I, I love teaching the Bible. I love sharing this with you guys. I'm very excited about God's word. There's freedom in it. It's so good for us. I appreciate that you got I appreciate that anybody ever wants to come. It's really seriously it's like wow people showed up again. It's amazing to me. The whole thing is amazing to me. And by the way, may I say this? I'm off, I'm totally off the script now. Sometimes you come up and tell me good sermon and I appreciate that. I I, I understand what you're saying. Really let let's just say isn't God amazing? That's a better thing to say. Wow, isn't God amazing? Can't believe that passage today. Can't believe what the Lord gave to us today. Did I break God's law by, by allowing my wife and kids to, be not, to not be here on some Sundays? I don't think so. Because it's, it's, it was a habit that when our kids were small that they were all here. That would get some pastors removed from their position in other churches. I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying... Let's be careful not to add burdens to people. And dear brothers and sisters, don't add burdens to yourself. Just don't do it. If there's things you need to work through, fine, that's great. You know, and sometimes we need to be harsh with our own sins, absolutely. Don't stay away from church because you had a bad week. Don't not serve because you haven't read your Bible for five days, etc. You guys, you guys are with me, right? You guys are with me.